Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the Tirade Food Movie Debate, hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm going to, well, I don't have a guitar with me. I wanted to do Ooh. the classic SNL skit. Have you ever seen it when oh, with Chris they Kattan. would go, with Chris Kattan, it would go like, I'm Antonio Banderas, no, too sexy. So <laughs> I, I'm going to go, William Johnson, ah, oh, too unsexy. Here, here, here. You say, I'll play the Horatio Sands part calling you too sexy. You just, you drop your name in a great accent and I'll back it up. Ready? Let's do the whole, here, here. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Johnson. Oh, so sexy. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, no, yeah. And I think that I think that Catan impression lets people know that we are here for a certain level of Antonio Banderas. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the guitars are on. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about my number 11 film from when we recently wow. did our top 100 for the 100th episode. It is Robert Rodriguez 1995 Shoot 'em Up. Desperado, recommended by me and only me. No, I'm sure other people love it too. So, um, our format is this: the recommending lover, myself, as the top 100 per- placement person, is going to go first. I will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower my praise and state my high-minded case why this movie rocks. The hater, which isn't really Will Johnson, it's more the liker, yeah, uh, like follows it. with five uninterrupted minutes of his own to present his counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth or so sexy of terms and, and endearments of what he's going to go for with Robert Rodriguez. And if it's going to be all Chris Kattan, it's going to be all Chris Kattan. After that, we'll open it up for about a half hour of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. I don't have guitar. We should, we, you're right. We need guitars because we can just cue all these little drops and intros and, you know, Mitch can do that or something. Oh, wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Insert guitar chord here. Oh, yeah. Every time we mention Banderas, he can throw the guitar. (laughs) We have to then give it a breath on the show for that to happen. And that's going to make a a, quite an editing session for our guy, Mitch. So, yeah, I don't think we'll we'll just make our own, right? We're, We're doing mouth band here right that's right yeah which is mouth, the name mouth of stuff. your I love mouth stuff right i, I was yeah. gonna say mouth band is the name of my high school sweetheart so yeah it's good stuff what? i'm kidding i she, kate, she's wonderful yeah okay kate's yeah. all right oh no but yeah all right so for Desperado, um, I am the lover. I put it as my number 11 film of all time. In fact, uh, in, in, in full Antonio Banderas swoon, um, it is one spot behind The Mask of Zorro from 1998, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. Mm. Uh, at number 10 uh, is probably a movie I will try to write a piece on before the year is out for the 25th anniversary because that's kind of what film obsessive used to do it. Um, but we're going to try to get back to that. No, when it comes to... Um, uh, Desperado. In fact, three years ago, I did write a 25th anniversary piece on it for uh, then 25 Well and now Film Obsessive, where um, I just, yeah, um, I take this movie as a fantastic uh, um, kind of um, exemplar um, uh, piece of where that debate is always there and it's over cliched and overdone, where people talk about style over substance, where can you can you have both can you can you ha- not have one and the other what's too much of one what's too little of another and i just it's it's such an overused knock uh, in terms of where i don't i don't think that's a term film critics use too many film critics use correctly but for me um if, for me for me 
there are so few better unions of style and substance for its intended aim. And maybe that's the qualifier that people don't do is they just drop the style and substance together and don't put any qualifiers for it. But for this movie's kind of intended purpose, this is a really good union of style and substance because you've got to shoot them up. Um, but it's still kind of the substance there is kind of a myth that's being played straight. You know, you've got, um, especially with Steve Buscemi opening the movie or uh, strolling into a bar and telling about some, um, obviously cockamamie over amplified story of, a of a masquerading killer on the loose, trying to hunt down drug dealers in Mexico. And, even though it's delivered by Buscemi in in high drunken tail barstool fashion, it's still a myth played very straight. We've got you know we've got you know stabbings and deaths and murders and like there's some there's blood and bullets and bravado all over this movie where it, it just it moves with a ferocious amount of passion, but at the same time a kinetic bit of coolness. And to me, that's your, your the union you want to see of style and substance. Um, I think this movie is a glorious romp. You've got incredible stunt work, practical effects, um, economical filmmaking from Robert Rodriguez and his very DIY school of doing uh, everything himself, shop, chop, cut, all the things he, he does himself. And um, I just, um, you, you also catch kind of the right time and the right place for a couple of people where discovering Selma Hayek is is revolutionary in terms of just uh men going through puberty <laughs> and also hollywood just enjoying um a new uh a new ethnicity to have a an actress and sex symbol from because it was so rare to have um to have mexican placement in that kind of level of uh you know she was an instant a-lister between this and a few things after so that's amazing uh you don't see that a lot and for her to be kind of be the representative out of it not too bad i mean is she still the the chick and the damsel in distress here a little but at the same time she's still tough as nails where if she needs to throw down she can throw down and then you get the spanish import of antonio banderas when uh coming out of mambo kings and a couple of little things here a couple of little things there i think assassins was after this where you just catch a a four um just a who um i'm not tall but a, a just the, the perfect dark and handsome guy to play a dark and handsome part um in a little place and he would go on to do it in bigger places where just no one came around acting and sounding like him, even to the point where we have to lampoon thanks to SNL, how a dude like him acts and sounds. But um, yeah, I just, the all of it is just, the, obviously it's a gritty gauntlet of revenge and you have this urban legend of a musician carrying around a guitar case full of gunpowder spewing justice coming at you and all that. But uh, um, yeah, I just, um, I was enthralled. And in 1995, I don't think I ever seen a shooting up quite like this. I know you have Westerns that do it a certain way and you've got movies like Death Wish and, you know, the gritty eighties and you know the diehards and stuff that do things a certain way. But like, I don't know, man, every pop of the gun here and every spurt of blood kind of meant something and, and kind of had a little more fun with it. Um, you still have kind of a, a deep, dark story in there that has to be told whether the twist of the end really works that good. But man, when you, all it takes is Banderas to kind of turn turn on those eyes, you know, drip that sweat, pull back that hair and pull that trigger. And I'm I'm there. And then, yeah, some hike is so fucking hot. It, 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 and when you're a 14 year old boy, that's she looks fantastic. So, yeah, um, it, it's amazing. So, yeah, I, I just I 
I say this a lot in our shows all the time where they just don't make movies like this anymore. And I, and I wish they did. I mean, we haven't had a good John wick is probably that place where that's what shooting ups are now. And there's nothing about John wick to me that is even close to being as fun and as sexy, mostly as sexy as this, because it's a hero that dudes like girls like all that. And don't get me wrong. Um, Keanu Reeves is, is a Zen dude. We all like, but like, no one's going to go home and fuck John Wick. You wanted to go home and fuck this man. And so <laughs> I think I think that's just a level of movie that just that John Wick can't hang with. So I will take Desperado every day of the week and twice on Sunday before four John Wick movies. And that's where I'm at with this one. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, before I start my five minutes, I just want to say that I know plenty of people that would fuck Keanu Reeves uh, from anything. Um, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, um, yeah, I would say not the sexiness factor, but I would say that John Woo also continued into the 90s with uh, interesting poetic gun battles and things like that. But, That's true. That's but not as yeah. sexy as this. No, so, no, no, no. No, no, I will. I, I totally agree on your progression of the All gun right. battle. But let me, cool. let me go ahead. I'll begin my, my five minutes. Um, well... If if we're looking at uh, filmmakers and we're looking at generations and eras of filmmakers, you know, if Scorsese, De Palma, Spielberg, Coppola, um, George Lucas, people like that, if they're if they're like the original Star Trek cast, you know, if they're the Kirk and Spock and Bones and Scotty and everything, then I think this '90s era of directors, um, Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Richard Linklater. And Robert Rodriguez, amongst others, are kind of like the next generation, you know, the Picards and the Rikers and the things like that. Um, much like, and the reason why I mention that is because both of those eras, the 70s and the 90s, had very distinctive personal voices that I think work in varying different levels for people. You know, Spielberg was kind of the, uh, you know, the mass favorite that could appeal to everybody. You know, Scorsese definitely had, uh, you know, he he had mainstream appeal, but he also had a, a niche quality to him and De Palma was in his own kind of world and uh, you know, doing his own kind of thing outside of the mainstream. And the same can kind of be said, you know, Kevin Smith was making comedies that people seem to like and Tarantino was mixing that independent streak with mainstream popularity. And Rodriguez was someone who, you know, I think he is an acquired taste. Like what, when I talk about Desperado, for example, like I don't, the reason why I'm not the lover of it is because I, I, most Robert Rodriguez films have the kind of Rodriguez quirks that don't always work for me. So I'm not in love with his style of filmmaking, but the thing that I admire about it is the, his films that he makes are very uh, undoubtedly Robert Rodriguez. And that's kind of what those seventies directors had and what those nineties directors had um, just with an indie sensibility. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of uh, El Mariachi. I think El Mariachi is a phenomenal film, uh, especially because it's it, like Kevin Smith's Clerks, which I love, is in my top 100. It's it's very well made at such a low budget. And the idea is so cool. And the reason why I do like Desperado a lot is because with an increased budget, with bigger stars, uh, they're able to kind of play with the established universe that they created in El Mariachi, that he created in El Mariachi, 
and add another level to it, which I think definitely um, aids Desperado a lot. Now, do I like Desperado more than El Mariachi? No. El Mariachi is a, a little bit more of a realistic portrayal of the concept. But what I do like about Desperado is it is that urban legend kind of aspect of a story. Like when Steve Buscemi comes into a bar and says, oh, yeah, you got the El Mariachi killer guy, and this is what he does to his victims. And then you kind of have this mixture of high octane, highly stylized violence with some pretty, you know, brutal, you know, violence that is intermixed with it. Um, it's this great balance of, you know, the the difference between fantasy and reality that it's always towing that line. And I really do enjoy that. Something that I think, uh, much like Kevin Smith with Clerks 2, uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez was a little too far from when he made the third film, uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, where it just feels like he's, he doesn't have a grasp of the material because he's been a Hollywood hitter for so long at that point that that spirit just isn't there anymore. So I do agree with you on the the whole concept of it being a perfect moment in time because um, you have the elevated budget, but it's not like a, um, you know, a studio burner, you know, it's not like $150 million. So it, it's, it's definitely a visual improvement. If you want to say over El Mariachi, it's got uh, bigger stars, obviously um, uh, so much to the point where Antonio Banderas is playing, the same character, I believe, uh, that uh, Carlos Gallardo is playing to the point where Antonio Banderas is such a star at that point for being in Pedro Almodovar, I can never say that correctly, uh, films, uh, that you know uh, Carlos Gallardo comes back and plays a completely different mariachi character. But um, it still has the spirit to it and the, the elements that make it kind of renegade. You know, like you can still watch films from the 90s like Clerks, like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, like um, some Linklater films, Days and Confused, that have that edge to them. Just enough of an edge, even though they're, they're kind of backed in the end by a studio. Um, that makes it kind of timeless. So, um, yeah, I, not a lover, but a definitely big admirer of the film. Well done, sir. Yeah, I, I, I completely... This movie does not exist and does not happen with, uh, without El Mariachi and the success that came from that. Like a guy making a, his own movie out of an Austin garage, you know, mm-hmm. you, um, it, that movie walks through. This movie could run, and and I'm extremely thankful for that. I'm with you. The sequel, uh, even though I even though I'm happy to live in that world again and get get some get some action and some fun. Yeah, the grasp isn't quite there. It, it feels more and more artificial as it goes. Whereas this one, you know, like I, like I say, every beat of sweat, every little, every little lived in set, you know, all that, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the foamless beer, like just, there's, there's a whole lot more on paper and on screen character in this than there would be in the sequel, which, you know, we were saving the president of Mexico. It just leaps too far for its own good. Whereas this one is just small town crime meets a small town vigilante, just trying to figure that out. And, and it just, it, it knew exactly what it could be and still be impactful. And I'm, I'm just so happy this movie exists, um, but, yeah, it, but, I, I'm, but you're right. It, it's not here unless El Mariachi came before it. So props well, to Rodriguez for sure. I, I think everybody, even the most, we talk about this with Scorsese all the time. I mean, I think some people can get in that pocket and still create really good things and, and mm-hmm. keep their philosophy. And then some people I think get a little lost. I don't think, yeah. 
Once Upon a Time in Mexico is like a disaster. No, but it, it the reason right. why the reason why I gave uh, the example of Clerks Two uh, and his contemporary Kevin Smith because they're all friends, I believe. I mean, there's a lot of extras where like. You know, yeah. Kevin Smith has like Tarantino and Rodriguez over his house to watch his movies and stuff. Well, we got um, that classic Tarantino cameo in this one. So yeah, but no, cameo, but I, yeah. but I was going to say that the reason why I mentioned Clerks Two is because by the time you know Kevin Smith made Clerks Two, I mean it had been twenty years since he had worked in a convenience store, so mm-hmm. that edge wasn't quite there. And right. Desperado is definitely a higher budgeted film than El Mariachi. El Mariachi, you can tell just like with Clerks that like he was making that as on the shoestring of all shoestrings and the yeah, shoestring is that, as flayed as it comes. It's about to break apart. That El and, Mariachi budget is legendary. Production budget, $7,000. Post-production yeah. budget, uh, a studio took a little shot on it and gave it a $200,000 infusion. But even then, two hundred seven, if you want to do that. Desperado, $7 million. That would be an independent spirit award contender if it was made. Oh, yeah. And, and Crazy. so even though it's an increase, it's still, like I said, has that edge oh, yeah. to it that like, because like, and also you can use Tarantino as an example. Like you never feel like when you're watching Pulp Fiction that you're watching a big budgeted update of Reservoir Dogs. You feel like you're watching right. a very Tarantino film that just happens to capture that cultural zeitgeist and made hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and that's why... Uh, this one I don't disparage having a bigger budget because he's still he has still a, not a lot of money to work with, and he makes something that looks. I mean, if you watch, I did this recently. If you watch El Mariachi and Desperado back to back, you would think El Mariachi is definitely the seven thousand dollar budget, whereas oh, yeah. you would think Desperado is like eighty million dollars. That's oh, yeah, how it looks good great. it looks. It yeah, looks so amazing. good. Um, but yeah, but I, and like you said, El Mariachi walked so this one could run. And I think Rodriguez is super smart in playing with that too, because I think a lot of these movies, like, I don't know, cause I was in 92, I would have been 10 and you would have mm-hmm. been what? 11, 12, something like that. Uh, 13 and 92. 13. Yeah. So for me, my little 10 year old brain, like when people like when people that were like 10 or 11 would tell me like, oh, my God, my dad was watching Reservoir Dogs and like this happens in it and this happened in it. They they kind of have they all have this kind of and, and this is pun intended, I guess, because because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Rodriguez runs Renegade Studios or whatever. But there was a kind of a renegade, almost outlawish nature to the films like you kind of felt agree. like it was a little bit bigger than what the story actually is. And I think Desperado is really smart in taking kind of the legend of El Mariachi. Cause when you watch El Mariachi, it's pretty straightforward. Oh yeah. Like movie. There's not, there's not a lot of the grandiose elements that Desperado has. So I think Rodriguez was really smart to be like, okay, I made El Mariachi. It's kind of got this nice renegade reputation. Let's play with the legend of what El Mariachi is and then kind of give it these fantastical elements and mm-hmm. and then also kind of confuse the audience sometimes like like is this real is this mm-hmm. you know cuz cuz one moment you've got one moment you've got him shooting people and they're flying like 30 feet in the air oh, and then no. the next like <laughs> you've got a guy's like head exploding like oh, it's yeah. very stylized but also kind of tonally all over the place on purpose and yeah. it just kind of adds to the urban legend status of what he created um, I agree. And, 
yeah, and I think that's what was lost in the second sequel. Mm-hmm. What's lost in a lot of these guys because even the even the best like because you know me, I I love you know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but you know it, it does feel like some of these guys, and certainly like a Scorsese and and for a little while the Spielbergs, they lose that edge a little bit as they get older and they have more money, and that seemed to kind of be the case at least with Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It just kind of felt like the renegade the the renegade that made those first two films just wasn't there anymore because he had access to Johnny Depp now and a huge mm-hmm. studio and, you know, uh, bigger I locations agree. and stuff. So it's, it's uh desperado is that perfect. Like you said, it's right in that pocket where, yeah, yeah. He got some extra money, but it wasn't like, no, you know, not, not gaudy screw around and blow some, just overdo it money. I agree. Um, right. To me, I, and you bring up Rodriguez's career uh, and well done by doing so. Um, To me, this is, him distilled to his tightest and best it really yes. is because like i know sin city is over stylized in, in, in its own way and it needs because it's based on the comic book and he's really going to emulate the comic book and visually that movie's a, a feast but uh, but again you when you do that would be the opposite of the the introduction i kind of made with style and substance where with mm-hmm. all that style you miss early which is sad because the source material is so good but you miss a ton of substance spy kids is its own little thing and i and i love rodriguez that he can blow up heads in a movie like this and still make something like spy kids never seen in any spare those, time oh so. they're adorable movies uh i mean if you ever need like baby's first caper kind of a movie <laughs> um you gotta you take a talent like rodriguez for just an eye for visual an eye for style an eye for editing and put that into the chops of a kid's movie with some intelligence to it versus mm-hmm. The, the you know the schlock and shit we put kids in front of now like you can do a whole lot worse than spy kids uh but like but those count as larger and grander things where his creative limits you know um are are, are sent and spent in kind of other directions whereas here like like we're saying like it's still this is still small town crime like this is this is a mexican batman movie um, in in a in a weird sure. with Batman with guns in a weird way like no one is a superhero um you know it, you you have a guy but still can do extraordinary things going after extraordinary people right. and it just it's just so punchy and tight and and yet at the same time you still have this like like you said kind of the imagined world where this feels like a string of ten minute short film portions that kind of you know jump you along hopscotch wise because like there's the buscemi opening that takes this dear sweet time there's the tarantino middle cameo that takes this dear sweet time and all the while your stalker with the ching you know with the jingling pants is on his way stepping to you to come get you you know um and once the bullets fly the bullets fly and the man that takes over with his editing and polish so um but um the fun part for me is like this guy and this is rodriguez where I just love his value or his um, his emphasis on production value because he shoots his own second unit. He does his own editing, commonly does his own scores. Um, I don't think the guy overworks it. It's it's just it's amazing, you know, because this movie, like I said, seven million dollars um, shot in 39 days. Um, and it's made to look like something 50 or 200. It's crazy how good. It is. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you, I'm, I like that you mentioned that the Desperado is kind of the perfect distillation of his. Vision. It really is not because, too much, not too little. Yeah. Just right. My issue. And I haven't seen all, I've seen about nine or 10 Rodriguez films overall. And I haven't yeah. seen any of the spy kids ones. So I can't comment on those, but everything that I have seen, and I'm just going to list some other movies that he's directed that I've seen. Right. And I, and I can always, I can always say that I like them 
but with a lot of caveats. Like, for right. instance, Sin City, From Dust Till Dawn, yeah. Planet Terror, The Faculty, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Two machete um, movies. Mm. Yeah, those there's always something where I go, okay, he went a bit too far with something. Yeah. Like Sin City is just one vignette too long. From Dust Agreed. Till Dawn has a great premise, and then it just kind of becomes a generic vampire yeah. action movie at the end. The yeah. Faculty, another great premise that just mm-hmm. doesn't quite hit on all cylinders. Right. Planet Terror, you know, uh, unlike the, the the curse with Planet Terror is that it's teamed up with right. one of my favorite Tarantinos, which I think is a lot. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I like it, um, where Tarantino really seems to have a grasp of films of that era, like Vanishing Point. Like he kind of knows how to capture that look and feel. Right. Of a I don't know if Rodriguez does. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because Planet Terror, it, uh, once again, another great concept, but it's so, it gets so over the top that it no longer mm-hmm. feels like an homage and more of like a, yeah. more of like a modern day kind of I agree. thing. Um, yeah. Just, just when you see that stuff, it, it, it all just kind of hits me mm-hmm. like he's almost there, but like Desperado is, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I gave it four stars, so it's not like I hate. Oh, it. sure, yeah. Like, I, it's, it, but it is perfect because it, it doesn't wear out its welcome. It hits all the notes. It's it's well casted, well edited. You've got a good villain, and also as a person who loves like connected universe stuff, yeah, uh, I really love that they connect the first film to this one by mm-hmm. having the original actors, even though they're only in it very briefly, but you know, um, Domino. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the first El Mariachi. Uh, I believe her name is Consuelo Gomez. She's in That's it right. very briefly because they touch on the backstory of what happened after that movie. And then I think, I don't know. I think Peter, I never Peter know, Marquardt's here. And I don't know how to yeah. say the name. Is it, uh, is, is uh, Jaime de Hoyos? I think he mm-hmm. played, uh, I don't know. I also don't know how to say the villain's name. I think it's, Bigoton, Bigoton. Uh, he's yeah, the yeah. main villain in the first one. Mm-hmm. He shows up briefly, and they kind of connect the dots there. And I thought that yeah. was kind of fun because it's like it's it's not a remake of El Mariachi, like a lot no. of people say. It's a continuation. Um, and it's and like you said with Batman, it's a great example because the best Batman movies have been able to get this idea that like. Batman isn't this guy who's on TV all the time being interviewed. He's kind of this mysterious vigilante that people have these tall tales about, you know, and they Desperado perfectly captures that essence by mm-hmm. like showing this mariachi killer assassin, you know, as this larger than life figure when in reality, he's just a regular guy. So it's just, it's, it's well, it's perfectly balanced. It, it's, if anyone ever told me, and obviously you agree, because it's number eleven on your top one hundred, it sure if, is. If I was ever to be like, okay, you can have one Robert Rodriguez, I mean, this is the one you would go with. This is, yeah. Uh, I'm looking at that list. If I'm, if there's a number two, oh, I mean, I guess I'll take. I mean, maybe I take Sin City because of just the. I mean, if there's a place where Rodriguez's chops can go to a place of ambition and be unique. That movie's while it misses a few things is wholly unique. Like I'd rather say, I wish sin city instead of trying to be an overstuffed two and a half hour movie 
if wish that was a 10 episode Netflix mini mini series, yeah, mini series. like I, and it, where Rodriguez takes his time you know and puts these characters into larger arcs instead of squishing them all in one where but yeah but since it's it, probably that's a dis, a distant two well from just the dawn is El, pretty El, fucking good too El Mariachi's number two for me oh well but, yeah I'm sorry put it like um, that yeah but um but no Sin City it it suffers from well, that's Frank Miller probably screwing that up more than Rodriguez. But. Well, here's the thing. I think it's almost too loyal to the source material. That's fair. Um, Some things don't translate from page to screen. Yeah. Yeah, because it looks exactly like the comics. I mean, yeah. it looks exactly like it. But I think when you spend so much time, and this is the same problem Zack Snyder had with Watchmen. Yep. Is that the first hour and a half of Watchmen, he's so dedicated to getting it to be exactly like the comic that he runs out of time and realizes, oh, shit, I got to end this story. That's another one that could have been mm-hmm. a 10 part miniseries that would have been much better than an actual movie. Um, I, I wish there was a little bit more Rodriguez flair into it, because mm-hmm. like you said, it does feel it does feel like he's basically just directing a Frank Miller page and putting it on the screen as opposed to you know, someone like Peter Jackson, who is honoring like a J.R.R. Tolkien, but also making it his own thing. I mean, that I mean, I know that's lightning in a bottle, but like those right. Lord of the Rings are so distinctly Tolkien and Peter Jackson, whereas like Sin City feels like Frank Miller with a little bit of dash of uh, Robert Rodriguez. And then, of course, there's like one scene directed by Quentin Tarantino in there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which is a scene in the back of a car talking for 10 minutes. But, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. I, I mean, I, you, I would put Sin City, I would probably put Sin City number three, I guess though, still because it's yeah. just the way it's done, but again, ambition and know. style. It's, it's so yeah, not no, few have, no one else has had the balls to try something on that level where true. Cause true. like the next closest thing would to me, like make something look as comic as you can, uh, comic in terms of the, the graphic novel. Um, right, right. maybe be Ang Lee doing his multi multi screen oh, panel look of the Hulk. You know, Great. where that yeah, that it, that plays. Yeah. I would love to see more comic movies do that uh, the way Ang Lee did, but no one's really tried. So, well, it depends because I mean, I know a lot of people like to shit on Taika Waititi now, but mm. his the production design and set work and things in Thor Ragnarok. I mean, it was like yeah, a yeah. Kirby. It was like a Jack Kirby comic come to life, and they they have they have moments. The Marvel films have moments, but yes, they are more like Marvel. For example, I if I will give DC something over Marvel, is that they do do a good job of trying to capture at least a tone from some kind of comic book, whereas mm-hmm. Marvel is trying to just make a film that has those elements to them. You know, right, right, right. They don't necessarily try to um, mimic like like Ang Lee did or like uh, Robert Rodriguez does with Sin City. They, they don't necessarily try to mimic where the comics are, just the spirit of the comics. And, and that's something that DC, I think, does have a little bit over that, is they will be like, okay, well, this is definitely this comic book era of Batman or Superman or whatever. And the same thing with um, uh, these ones we've been talking about here, um, uh, Sin City spe- specifically, where it's mm-hmm, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's very definitely a comic book movie because it's yeah. Of- almost a sell for sell recreation of the comic book. Now I brought up wick in terms of being obviously the modern embodiment of a shootout, which is hard to do. Sure. Now we have the gun politics that we have now where that's another reason why you probably couldn't make this movie as 
I know this is trying to be good guy with a gun, but good guy with a gun murders 67 people in this movie. <laughs> so, um, uh, that is your official body count 67, but, um, Oh damn. Like, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. But, um, like it, it's in terms of like the subgenre of shoot 'em up. This one's my easy number one. I'm, I'm trying, I mean, it's probably this and the wicks and maybe I guess obviously shoot 'em up itself with Clive Owen. I got a soft spot. Got for, it, you got, I got a soft spot for face here. off. I got face, face off. off. Soft yeah, spot good point. For that. Oh, of course, the woo stuff where, yeah, hard-boiled and the killer. Yeah, of course. Right there. Yeah, good point, yeah. good point. Um, but yeah, I mean. What this else is, makes this, that list? It's definitely up there. I'm, no, I mean, mm-hmm. I, think you, I think you listed all the big hitters. I mean, I know that there's some stuff out there that, I mean, there's films that have sequences of gun violence that are incredible. Like Heat obviously has one of the oh, best yeah. shootouts oh, of gosh. all time. So good, yeah. Um, you know, there's moments in Westerns like Unforgiven or uh good bad and the ugly but right in terms of like the ethos of a shoot 'em up film i mean this is this has definitely got to be one of the godfathers of it i mean i would I, that's it's up there for me man you would th- the modern day yeah. one i'm sure there's mm-hmm. somebody out there that's like well what about you know something from 1977 well, or something but what you know yeah i mean, I mean it, william holton like the wild bunch but it, we're, again you're talking well, about sequences more than like those are sequences, a man who yeah. lives by the gun you know that kind of way about it so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and even even something like um, Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction that are known for their violent sequences. Right. Those, you know, eighty percent of those films are talking dialogue heavy. They're not mm-hmm. action packed films, you know. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, this one, and you're right. It is a hard genre to do. There was a film that came out. Um, I don't know. It was back before Army Hammer was canceled. Uh, mm-hmm. It had Brie Larson in it. It had the guy from District Nine. It's called Free Fire, I think. Where there's like yeah, a I know forty five minute oh yeah shootout, and it's not, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad, but it's it is a it's... difficult thing to pull. Like when I think about like Face Off now, I think like it's kind of silly because really no one ever hits anybody. So like, where's the drop? It gets to the point, point where it is. It gets to the point where it is like when is it silly and when is it, you know, yeah, I don't know. Like it's a really tough thing to pull off. You have to have, you either have to nail down a tone or you have to have an insane body count. Like Desperado does. I mean, 67, that's no, uh, up there. Yeah. I mean, I know that some of the Rambo sequels have a lot too, but those aren't shoot 'em ups really. Yeah. Those are what extended war movies or extended arm yeah. of a war movie. Whereas this is vigilante stuff. So, yeah. So I don't, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I mean, just, yeah, I can't think of anything else mm-hmm. that truly lives up to that than, than Desperado for sure. Yeah. Now, can you picture this movie with Raul Julia instead of Joaquin de Alameda? Because that was the original oh, cast. As the, as the bad guy? As the bad um, guy, yeah. Um, I mean, I love Joaquin de Almeida because that, that fucking gravelly, amazing, narrate-my-life voice. No, he is perfectly cast. Um, mm-hmm. Now... But Julia uh, passed away before he could do the movie. Yeah, he was all set uh, and replaced by Alameda. Raul, Raul Julia has a little bit of that legendary... Um, you know, status to him because of what could have been, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would never throw Raul Julia out of the picture, but at, at some point, you know, see, I, I think know. he'd be, I think his presence, he's almost too big, too big for this movie too big yeah, at that where point. he, yeah. I mean, I, Raul Julia, it's me because of his screen presence and stature, 
never mind his ethnicity, you know, makes him a poor fit. Like he's more of a Bond villain. Like he's a guy you would expect to be in charge of something way bigger than a small town drug ring. So yeah, yeah, that makes. Or he would mustache twirl his way out of it a little bit more. Like he just came out of Street Fighter, which probably wasn't going to go to go from there to there there to here would have been a difficult hurdle. Yeah, I, I you know so yeah I think if you ask me like would I be interested to see the film oh, with I'd like to see that. yes yeah. me but too I don't I, I'm not sitting here going like oh man we missed it right 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 because yeah um he's a uh, I don't know how to say his full name but uh, Joaquim Antonio Joaquin. Portugal Baptista de Alameda you got Alameda, it um, <laughs> is I just uh, a great choice I just saw him recently in the uh, the film Missing. The the yeah, screens yeah. movie where I mean he plays the good you know the nice guy good guy but that voice is still there where he just brings it yeah. and he's in oh. um, clear and present danger it's great yep. in that. he's oh he's uh, a professional movie villain for sure so yeah he's he's, no, a, he's and I put the the trademark at the end of that phrase there where he's just that guy so no um and I think that helps a lot in this movie is um vignettes or little ten minute segments or not the you know, Buscemi and Tarantino and Cheech Marin. Like, I, I always forget how much comedy is in this movie to mm-hmm. go with the 67 point, you know, body count stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's Cheech, true. That's true. The, the Cheech Marin bar scene. I mean, I, I don't know how Cheech Marin moves a toothpick as well as he does with his mouth, but gosh darn it, man. And, just and that's, throw. and that is a very, and I mean this in a positive way, a very yeah. ni- a 90s element that I oh, enjoyed totally. that I miss. I mean, when you put the, when you put the, um, you know, the Buscemi scene up there with a lot of great dialogue scenes from those 90s mm-hmm. indie guys like Tarantino and Kevin Smith and later and stuff. It, it's up there. It has that feel to it. it. It's that great, that great mixture of, you know, comedy, great written dialogue, but also that hyper violence that, you know, right, right. I mean, uh, obviously, like Linklater and Smith were not like the hyper violent type, but the Tarantino's and the Rodriguez, you kind of knew you were going to get a laugh, but you were also mm-hmm. going to get like something horrifically yeah. bloody. Oh, yeah. You know, and that was kind of the fun part of seeing their films is you're like, what are they going to do next? You know, and I think that's the and I'm not I, I can't go so far as to call something like John Wick joyless, but mm. it, it's close because like you're not it's so rare that you get what we're talking about here, like. 10 minutes of Cheech Marin busting Quentin Tarantino's balls all to get to the next shootout or the next thing or yeah. a doubt here and a doubt well, there. Like who else would give and the, the Buscemi story, you know, um, who else would give that kind of screen time in a 105 minute movie that, like you said, is very economical. Mm-hmm. Who would spend that time doing this rather than, Hey, we got to keep moving. Hey, we got to keep moving. We, everything needs to be on pedal of the metal accelerator. Like this killer walks. He doesn't run for shit. Uh, And I love that because today they would just put the pedal to the metal with full acceleration, which, again, John Wick style looks great. But here there's something Um, to the stalker, the stalker killer, which I love. It is funny you mentioned that because, um, yeah, when I really like John Wick, like I've enjoyed the three that I've seen. I haven't seen the fourth one yet. Yeah. But if you ask me to identify scenes from any of those movies and place them I, ooh, in good, which good movie question. it is, I, I can't, I really couldn't do it Yeah, um, because they kind of blend in. So I, I see what you mean. It's they're not joyless. Mm-hmm. Like it's when I spend the time to watch them, I enjoy them, but they're also kind of like, yeah, yeah. They, they don't have a lot of character to them. Whereas and here, here, I'm like, that guy brief. who's like, yeah, 
Yeah, the, there's the the opening shootout with with you know hiding Antonio's face in the Buscemi backstory. You've got the Cheech Marin shootout where, like you said, he's shoving a guy off him and shooting thirty rounds into him as he flies through the <laughs> air and the ceiling fan, and the, when Antonio mounts the bar and you know shooting people behind his back. Like the, there's like you said, there's some signature pieces to it, and then and then of course um, the one I'm forgetting the most is. Um, at the end with the three his two buddies and you have the guitar case weapons and the stunt guys falling off roofs and shit like yeah it's just it's just like you said there's a signature distinctive quality about the mind all the i don't even think it's storyboarded but just the the way these things are put together have has have inspiration to him versus yeah we got a cool set let's see what he can do just to you know john wick has amazing cool sets but like not like you said there's not I don't know character behind it all, and it looks yeah, great. I, I it don't moves even, great. Best stunt work in the world, but I yeah, don't know. I don't it even remember. Yeah. I don't even remember other than the initial, like when they come to his home in the first movie, right? Yeah, like I don't. That's remember, the one I remember too. Like, or I don't remember why he keeps doing it in two, and why he keeps doing yeah. it in three, and why he keeps doing it in four. Like, yeah. I, I forgot. The, so, what was the in the third one? The scene with Halle Berry and the dogs. That took forever. That scene was. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's another part of it is when some of these action scenes in bigger movies go on so long that you can't keep track of them. That's whereas, been a problem. That's whereas a problem I bet you put a stopwatch. Well. I bet you put a stopwatch in the three segments we're talking about. And yeah. they're probably eight minutes or under, which is amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. been a big problem with blockbusters for a while because. Yeah. I, re- I I first started... load management as we like to say on this well, show, right? <laughs> I, I first started noticing it with the Transformer movies because I remember yes. there was one of them that came out where there was like a forty-five minute yeah. like final battle, right? Uh, and actually, that's been my main criticism of. And here, here you go, guys. Uh, I am yeah. a Marvel shill, but I'm going to talk shit about a Marvel movie. Go for it. Uh, that was the ruining thing for me of Guardians Two mm. was mm-hmm. that you kind of had this nice story lots of laughs good moments but then it was like this 45 minute closing sequence that just doesn't feel like it's flowing with the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. and it kind of ruined it for me a little bit um yeah yeah i think we just saw it again with like ant-man quantum mania like climate way too long way too long that ending scene where you finally get to a place to confront kang and it's cassie gets big and has something she has to go do you have uh, you know, um, Ant Man finally getting to Kang, and there's a bit of a throwdown there. But then you need to have something for uh, Evangeline Lilly to do, and then of course Michael Douglas has to come in and save the day. And there's there's You're too right. many elements, you know. Like you know, you know what might have been the capper to the, the what might have started this trend, and is probably Episode One, uh, Phantom Menace. Ooh, okay. Because there is a sequence. Because Ben Burt, I don't know why he was the editor on the film. Because I, I mostly mm. know him as a sound guy, right? But there's a sequence in the documentary, uh, the beginning, which was all about making Episode One, and he's telling George Lucas, he's like, I don't know how to. Like he's being honest, and I was actually surprised Lucas allowed this to come out. But he's like, dude, I don't know how to edit this because <laughs> mm, you mm-hmm. had four things happening at once. Oh gosh, you and sure they, did. They, they, Which the, is a the, bit of a Star Wars. Well, no, well, yes, that didn't turn into a thing to Return of the Jedi. Here's you the had problem. Endor and yeah. Lando and the guys attacking the Death Star, and, well, and then Luke, Luke and Darth in the throne room. So they but, had three things going, but, but so distinctive, different tones in each one. 
but this but the stakes they oh. all connected for oh, one thing totally whereas yeah. like in episode one you've got a little kid like oh accidentally gosh, yeah. blowing shit up in a spaceship <laughs> yeah. you've got uh amadala storming the castle yeah you've got jar jar acting like a fuckhole yeah. on, the, on the thing and then you've got darth maul the versus the jedis yeah. and it's you know it's it's you know i can only imagine as an editor oh, and that gosh, sequence does point. go on a long time it does. now now thankfully you know the darth maul sequence is so good oh, that sure you kind is. of phase that out but mm-hmm. it's we realize that, you only get like five minutes of darth maul if, yeah, but that, it's that stretched might, for 25. Yeah, yeah, that might be the beginning of all this. Where I think you're right. Like, you know what? We've got to put as much shit in here as well. It's a great criticism of Quantum Mania, actually, because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it as uh, someone who loves that character. Oh, like, sure. I, I, I had I was less. And, and hey, actually, I get it. Everyone gets a moment. And I love I love Michael no, Douglas no, at was, the end. It's like that's my favorite part of the ending is Michael Douglas in the end. But, but, I th- he's but I think like the nailed, fourth moment of four, you know? No, I think you nailed the one thing I couldn't quite figure out that I didn't like about it was Look at revising the show that, that <laughs> well, because I actually yeah. didn't want to do an episode on it because it was just so tiring. Like, I remember it. that. Yeah. But uh, like, I think you nailed what I didn't like about it. And that mm-hmm. was that part where, um, and this has been a problem with Marvel films for a long time is You're the, right. third act, the third act where everyone says, okay, you got to stop even really, really good stuff. Well, that they put out like WandaVision, like, yeah. you know, the last episode had to be a big battle, you know? Well, I'll like, even, I'll even say it's a Disney problem where their animated films and the Pixar ones, like you get to that third act and mm-hmm. everything has to be for some reason, a fucking chase to something like, like, look at, look at inside out. There's that race against the clock mm-hmm. to save her brain from not remembering this. Toy Story mm-hmm. Three. There's a race against the clock to get out that of the works, compound. Though. You know that one works. Yeah. Thank goodness. Well, that one also has a really good coda after all the chase. Yeah, it does. You know, does. in Toy Story Three, like by the time you hit the yard and the toys, we're all bawling our eyes out. Um, but like Ratatouille has a chase to get to the final meal. Um, they, I don't know why Pixar up has a has a a chase to get the damn balloon off the mountain and away from christopher Plummer. like that's they true, all that's true. have a chase I, I hate to call it a chase because it's not a proverbial car chase it's not we're not watching bullet and steve mcqueen but for some reason like they feel like they have to rush and accelerate to some big thing to give you an ending when no just just to have an ending i that's think that's why, why like even desperado that's one of my favorite things that i i don't think a lot of people notice is like they stop short of one more shootout because when when banderas gets to alameda and you you the revelation is their brothers mm-hmm. um and you know you can tell he flips the guns out of the sleeves and there's one more shootout to end that movie and we don't see it we just see the aftermath and the coda yeah and how about restraint and patience there versus that would normally be your that that would normally be your 14 minute your big one, you know, you, well, you saved all your money I mean, for the end and then you don't have to. Well, once upon a time in Mexico, that thing glasts. Oh, the, the presidential, the, the streets battle in Mexico City to save, to save the president. Yeah, it's way no. too much. It's yeah. So it's so even Rod Rodriguez didn't. It might be it might be, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant to give Francis Ford Coppola any credit because I think he's a curmudgeon has been at this point, which I'm sure is going to piss a right. lot of people off. Yeah. But he, did, he did say, I will give him credit for this. He, he, when he was praising, um, no time to die. Yeah. He said, you know, I love how it was directed until you had to get to these 
seemingly mandated sequences that you have to put in the picture. It's true. You know, cause he was like, yeah. I really love what he, what I can't remember the director's name, Corey. Uh, it's Corey. Yeah. 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 And he was like, I love what he was doing, but then he would have this chase scene that felt yeah. foreign to what he was trying to do. Marvel has had this problem. I mean, you know, uh, we just spelled a few Black, out. Yeah. Like, like Black Panther is a great film and it does have yeah. a coda as well, but it, there is a, 30 yeah. minute battle sequence oh, that yeah. doesn't in two feel places, like the train it doesn't yeah, feel on, yeah. on par with no. the re- the other parts of the movie that you got and um i guess that's yeah. one place where i always dog the movie because i feel like it doesn't have enough stakes but i need to give i'll, I'll correct some stuff i've said on the show i need mm-hmm. to give captain america civil war credit that mm-hmm. you have the airport battle which to me is pull punches and pillow fight but um but by the time you get to Siberia oh, and yeah. it's just three guys bust, you wailing know, on each other, wailing <laughs> on each other, that's a mono a mono ending that you don't get too often in a comic movie unless it's Nicholson and Keaton on the roof of a cathedral that you don't get that too often. So I, I can tip my hat to that. Like you, I, I, right. I, I do miss that because I was recently because that's when you do it right. That's all you need. Yeah, Hero, because bad guy, no crowds, no cheering, no bullshit. Just have it out. Yeah, once usually every two years or so, I go through the Lethal Weapon movies, mm, and um, mm-hmm. and one of my favorites. And I always tell people this, and they always laugh at me. And I'm always like, I, I think Lethal Weapon Four is actually excellent because it, it's kind of a great crossover film because it has a lot of Hong Kong action in it. Oh yeah, done you're by Hong gently, Kong. You're gonna go there, yeah. Right, but I mean, it's the the choreography is done by like you know a Hong Kong legend like Corey Yoon and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do miss those days because my the, one of the reasons why I love Lethal Weapon Four is there is a final showdown between Jet Li and Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. It's only like three minutes long. Yeah, but it's some of the most intense fighting shit mm-hmm. that I've seen. Like. Before or since, I mean, because oh, sure. it's you know g- gouging eyes out, hitting people oh, yeah. with crowbars, you know, it's it's got the rain element, and mm-hmm. in those three minutes, they're doing so much more, and the stakes. I mean, right, even though you right. know that they're going to live, the stakes are so much higher than yet. Yeah, some of these forty-five minute sequences. Yeah, I'll, I'll give another um, Highlander original Highlander. Mm, like, yeah, you get yeah. to the end, it's just Clancy Brown and Christopher Lambert throwing down in urban cityscape. I guess the girls dangling in parallel a little bit, but like mm-hmm. mano a mano, no bullshit fight to the death, you know, and that's yeah. all you need, you know, no crowds, no, no extra Terminator machinations. Two, the, Terminator oh, the ending of that is in a in, fucking in refinery that you, perfect. no one is around. Yeah. You get uh, all your big stuff out of the way, but when you need it to matter, it's yep. just the end. And the right thing, I, yeah. I I wish more movies can could could reach that spot. Maybe I haven't seen the fourth Wick movie, but I'm I'm guessing it's a, a massive explosive. Three hours thing. long, like I, that's, I mean that's the, that's what's also kept me away too. Yeah, I was same. just like, I thought the last one that was two and a half, and it was so convoluted that I was, was like, I don't think so. But you know what's funny is when we mention these things, when we mention yeah. Desperado, when we mention Terminator Two, like isn't it amazing? how the images just pop in your head immediately. Like you completely, it's almost like the whole movie plays out in your head and you understand everything about it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like when I, no no rewatch needed for me today. I haven't seen this movie probably in three years. When I I think it's over too, I can, I can almost touch the sets because I know so much about it. And I probably haven't watched Terminator two in like six, seven years. Same. Whereas like, yeah, when we were talking about John wick, it's like, yeah, I remember his dog dies, but then I can't remember a hotel lobby. 
And yeah, yep, I cannot place. Yeah. I cannot place anything that happens. No. The only thing I can remember from John Wick three, like off the top of my head, is because for whatever reason they got Boban, the like seven foot six uh, center yeah. for the Dallas yeah. Mavericks. Yeah. They got him as an assassin, and John Wick kills him with a book. Yeah, I, remember, I that. Only remember that because like Boban is like one of the sweetest human beings who's ever mm-hmm. lived, and it was yeah. just weird to see him as an assassin. I don't know why he was trying to kill him. I don't know what was happening. I don't know any of the relationships really with anybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's movies these days, unless you have a very personal connection, like I do with some of the Marvel characters, Mm -hmm. it is very tough to find something to hold onto that doesn't feel too manufactured. I get that. I agree. I, I, I get, I get sometimes maybe where some of these old timers come from, I, I don't like to say that in a blanket way because I think right. there are exceptions to everything. I think, well said. yes, I, I mean, for example, like I haven't seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. I've seen two of them. Yeah, I've seen yeah. the first one and the fourth one. That, like I've never I would, seen I would tell you to see the fifth and stop. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I maybe someday I'll do it. But like, for, for example, I saw a trailer mm-hmm. for fast and furious 10 right yeah mm-hmm. and to me it looked it, and, and i'm not criticizing the craftsman or anything for someone who doesn't know anything about the characters who doesn't have any connection to it who doesn't have any stake in the game mm-hmm. i saw the trailer now i would never i would never say the film sucks without having seen it like right, that's, that's who i am but when i watched the trailer for something that i'm not invested in and know nothing about I thought it was an SNL like parody skit. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Right. So mm-hmm. so I can see maybe where these guys, like the Scorseses and stuff, think they see something, they see what is being presented out there, and they're like, look at the death of cinema. I can see where maybe like on That's the fair. surface they they see it. But yeah, I my main problem with that is that people like them are so unwilling to go deeper and actually like I like I said. Fast and Furious X looks ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. However, I am not going to say that it's not cinema because it means something to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I haven't seen it. So right. how can I possibly sit there and say it's the death of cinema when I haven't seen it? And mm-hmm. you and I know, and you're better at it than I am, the trailers or what they show in a commercial uh-huh. are a, co- a completely different entity than what the actual film is. Yeah. Well, even I, I, that's the thing. What drew me to this movie in the first place, you know, when I was 16 was, uh, the trailer, the trailer was, yeah. uh, a, 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 a Pablo Sandoval, not Pablo Sandoval, Miguel Sandoval trumpet song from the Mambo Kings movie where and it's, it's wordless trailer that just shows hyper cut action scenes cut, you know, uh, set to the beat of the song. And it probably overspoiled the movie when you really think about it, but like, no, that it just, it just gave you the the titillation of excitement of what's to come. And that's all you needed to do. So. And remember yeah. what trailers were. It's funny. Cause I watched in mm-hmm. the line of fire for the first time. Yeah. But, that future show. I'm guessing. I, re- soon, I so. remember. I remember the trailer for that in the theater, mm-hmm. like scaring the shit out of me. Oh yeah. Simple. Like, tra- Cause trailers, it was that threat of a villain yeah. that you didn't know if they didn't overspell it and give you half of his origin in two minutes in a trailer. You just went, yeah, Oh and, shit, and, that looks scary. And think cool. about like, and we were just talking about like Disney animated stuff. Uh, like, like remember the Lion King trailer when it was like, yeah. here's the first two minutes of the movie fuckers buy a ticket. Like oh gosh, it wasn't no. even a trailer. Lazy. It was, Lazy. it was, it was like, it was like, 
holy shit, that looks great. Like, it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it was, it wasn't like, it wasn't a movie within itself. It was like, Hey, we're going to show you some really cool fucking animation and you're going to love the song and you're going to be like, holy crap. Like I still, I remember getting chills when I saw the light. Oh, trailer. you mean the, the animated trailer. Cause I just called it lazy. Yes. Oh, no, 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 the animated the trailer. No, the, one. Yeah. No, no. The animated trailer was just the first two minutes of the movie. Oh yeah. I, um, same were, thing with uh, Pocahontas. Like they showed yeah. you the, it was like the colors of the wind music video. And that's all you needed to do to sell the movie. Perfect. It had a stay. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, I mean, there was, I mean, going back to lethal weapon four, I remember the trailer was just like, they're back. And it would show like Danny oh, Glover, Mel Gibson laughing a couple times. And it was mm-hmm. like, lethal weapon four this summer. And it was like, yeah. Oh, I got to see that. Like, you know, like it's, yeah. it's so, it was so much simpler back then. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know why we're on trailers yeah. now, but it's just, right. it's just, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, uh, thanks for taking this journey with me uh, back into this one. Thanks for giving me a, a spotlight from the, from the high part of our top 100 list. It's your turn yeah. to get a movie for high up in your 100 to, to show off uh, here. Something and... I could probably torture you with maybe is I what can, I can do. Can't wait. I, I you enjoy your torture. Though you know what, a uh, little peek behind the curtain here for cinephile hissy fit fans out there, mm-hmm. uh, we have been talking about it, and there is one in my top five which we are probably going to be discussing very, very soon. Ooh, so, that's right. So if you want to listen to that episode or look at my list and see what the top five is and make mm-hmm. your guesses from that, uh, what I can tell you is that we've already done episodes on two of them, so you can already ah, nail out. Here we you go. Can, you can already eliminate two from the top five. Okay. So. Uh, so there's three left you can choose from, but we're definitely going to talk about one of those that I cannot wait to talk about with you. Uh, All right. Yeah. Oh, take us out. Will. thanks man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Follow us on Twitter at cinephile fit on Facebook at cinephile hissy fit podcast and Instagram at cinephile fits. Find both of us by name on Letterboxd. Check out our film reviews and ratings. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership and our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25 Wild Media. If you enjoyed the show, uh, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes. Spotify and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.